1: I have flown. I have sailed. I have moved about this world of ours. And ever in search of the finest of its kind, we bring you the tops
0: in audio drama networks. This is Mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult.
1: The Hand of Glory. In occult lore, the hand was cut from the corpse of a hanged thief and covered in virgin wax and the dead man's tallow. It is said to open any door. But how did the Hand of Glory come to have its fate entwined in the mysteries at the heart of Wormwood? Discover the secrets of this arcane appendage, once attached to Dr. Xander Crow, as we present Wormwood and the Five Fingers of Glory, five thrilling tales of mystery and suspense that span the ages.
0: Written and read by David Acampo, with acknowledgment to the works of Robert E. Howard. 1. Stranger from the North The strange rider, his scarlet cloak rippling in the gentle breeze, steadied his stallion as he slowly traversed the bustle of merchants and street folk teeming along the dusty streets of Cephravim. The small city, nestled along the banks of the great Euphrates River, seemed poorer than many of the small towns south of the Assyrian king's grip, but the ornate temple, glittering in the distance like a jewel, hinted at hidden, fabled treasures. The horse's powerful hooves tapped a steady rhythm and stopped, as the horsemen pulled tight the reins amidst the crowded streets. Unable to press forward, the rider dismounted and began to guide his steed through the midday bustle of beggars and merchants. Eyes veiled by his scarlet hood, the men visibly groped at his surroundings, searching for the pulse of this strange town, as he had learned to do in his many travels. Instead, he felt an all-too-familiar tug, and with the briefest shrug, the rider's calloused fingers snatched out like a serpent and grasped the reedy arm of his would-be pickpocket, a young boy whose slender fingers had already managed to snake their way into the rider's coin purse. The young thief whimpered and cried out. Quickly, a young woman rushed to his side and pulled the boy away, hiding him behind her body. Her dark eyes glittered as she hissed at the rider, who yanked too hard on the reins of his steed, causing the beast to rear up slightly. The rider's hood fell away, revealing pale skin and a thick tussle of raven locks to match the shade of his horse. The stir sent curious street urchins scattering, whispering, and questioning the presence of this outsider so clearly from the north. Women clutched children closer to their dresses as the rider passed, but none barred his way until Raman dared to do so. Palm resting lightly on the hilt of his wickedly curving sapara, the bronze-skinned giant stepped directly in front of the rider. ''Ho, oh, stranger!'' shouted Raman. ''How enter you this fine city and immediately besiege its fair citizens?'' The writer grimaced and eyed him coldly. His eyes were vain blue. Raman did not like the look of this stranger. He had seen men such as this, the mercenaries known as Kumri, vicious soldiers who had assisted the deceased King Sargon II in his contest with Eratu. "'Raman knew these men to be both vicious and merciless in conquest "'and feared what the arrival of such a man meant for Sefervaim. "'The man was silent as he considered Raman's words. "'When he finally answered, his voice was a low growl. "'Is it the habit of your fair citizens to rob their guests rather than welcome them? "'Our guests usually declare their business upon arrival, stranger. "'What business do you have in Sefervaim?' "'My business is none of yours, Akkadian,' barked the rider. Raman's fingers tightened on the hilt of his weapon. "'Oh, no, friend! I am a royal guardsman of the high priest of Adramelech, and it is my sworn duty to protect Sefervine from those who seek to harm its people.' "'Then you have no problems with me, guardsman,' said the man, "'for I seek to harm none save those who stand in my path.' "'Sadly, I know your kind, Kumri," said Raman, "'and I cannot believe your claim.' At his word, the man laughed. "'You presume to know me?' Dugdeme of Sameria, and yet it is you who stand ready to draw blood? Should I buy you a drink instead?" asked Raman. "I'll tell you this, guardsman," said Dugdeme. "If you stay your hand from the hilt of your sword, I'll buy the drinks. Unless a Kumri's bounty is no good here in your desert village." With a slight smirk, Dugdeme reached back to retrieve his coin purse. He fumbled as he realized the purse was gone. The woman he muttered to himself, recalling the dark glittering eyes, the brief hint of her curves beneath woolen garments. He etched this image in his mind. He was not one to forget a thief of her caliber. Seeing Dugdame's distress, Raman lowered his hand from his weapon and began to laugh heartily. I suppose the wine is on me today, Cimmerian. 2. The Great Book Town You have the frame of a soldier, I'll give you that, said Raman, wiping purple wine from his lips with a dusty hand, but you have the eye of a thief. Is that the punishment for thieves in this city, friend, to drink with the captain of the army? Dugdame laughed as he stamped his goblet on the table. Laugh as you will, but I have noticed the care with which you drink, only from sealed bottles, only from that which you pour yourself, said Raman. "'One can never be too careful when his drinks are paid for,' laughed the Cimmerian. "'I've traveled far and wide, Raman, and I've learned to survive is to expect the worst in men. "'Any drink might be your last.' "'And if this was to be your last drink, Dugdame, would that be a fitting end to your adventures?' "'Dugdame hissed. "'Well, if this is to be my last drink, I'll have you know it tastes like a camel's piss.' Raman roared with laughter. You've quite the experience with a camel's piss, I'll wager, Northlander. Everyone knows the barbarians have not the sophisticated tongue of Adramelech's chosen. Adramelech, eh? questioned the Cimmerian. Is that the god you serve in this forsaken little shanty town? It is. And does your god force you into a vow of poverty? Is that why the captain of the guard chooses to drink cheap wine with a suspected thief? Ah, answered Raman, your question has two answers. Firstly, there is no better way to keep your eyes upon a thief than to keep him drunk and at your table. Secondly, Sefervim is a very special place. We don't hold our treasure in leather pouches slung from our belts. Oh no, said the Cimmerian, with a raise of his thick brow. Our treasure holds no interest for a common thief. I'm hardly a common thief. We shall see, my friend. What is your great treasure, then, that it is not gold and is of no interest to a thief? Books. Books. Our great Lord Adramelech commanded us to build a great treasure trove of knowledge, a library of the greatest writings ever scrawled to parchment. Bah! said Dugdame. Scratchings on parchment never put food on the table like a good sword arm. Some days I'm inclined to agree with you, Northlander, replied the guard, his wide face darkening slightly. And in exchange for protecting this paper treasure, you are given what? asked Dugdame. We are given our lives to live as we please. We are given safety and protection. I've seen the quality of life your city affords. Starving boys and meddlesome women picking the pockets of strangers. I'll take my chances with my blade. I suspected you might, Dugdame. The men laughed at one another as they continued to drain their goblets well into the night. 3. The alleys of Sefervim. The broad-shouldered Cimmerian slunk quietly along the dark streets of Sefervim, staying close to the shadows to avoid notice. In the daylight, the city teemed with life, but the nights were different. Having emerged stumbling from the tavern, Raman had directed Dugdame to an inn where he might find lodging. Confident that Raman was out of sight, Dugdame quickly shook off the warm alcoholic haze and pulled his cloak tightly around him. Avoiding the dim light of the brazier's, The warrior slipped cat-like into the streets once more. He was, after all, no common thief. Dugdame was a thief of the highest order. It's true that thievery was not a noble profession, nor one that Dugdame had sought, but in between years of battle he found it a necessary skill to survive in foreign lands where mere strength alone would not suffice. Two armored guards marched past Dugdame, their polished iron glinting in the dim light. As he pressed against the smooth terracotta wall to avoid detection, he felt a familiar presence, nearly invisible in the darkness beside him. As the guards passed, Dugdumay whipped around, his powerful hands wrapping tightly around the figure next to him. He instantly felt the soft features, the svelte curves he had consigned to memory mere hours ago. In response, the woman bit down on the fleshy part of his palm, her sharp white teeth drawing blood as the warrior winced, but did not relent." "'By the gods, woman, that did hurt!' grunted the solemn-faced warrior. "'I'm going to release my hand from your mouth and give you a fair chance to explain, but be forewarned. I'll snap your neck in an instant if I don't like what I hear.' With that, he released the woman, who spat a gob of his crimson blood on the dirty ground. "'Leave this place, northerner,' she said, grimacing. Her anger and ferocity reminded him of the strong women of the northern steppes. "'But I've only just arrived,' chuckled Dugdame, eyeing the woman." There are so many beautiful sights to see. There is only death here, said the woman. And a thief who owes me a coin purse, as I recall, growled Dugdame, pulling the woman close to him. Though perhaps we can come to an arrangement of sorts. The warrior trailed off, observing as the woman's body went slack in his thick arms. She lowered her head, sobbing. "Iari," she cried quietly. They've taken him. Dugdame's mind flashed to the thin boy who had tried to rob him in the afternoon. The boy? he asked. My son, whimpered the woman, throwing herself into Dugdame's broad frame. If this was an act, it was a convincing one. What is your name, woman? Yaffa, replied the woman, wiping her eyes and straightening her posture. And who has taken your son? The priests, the high priests of Adramalek. the children. They offer the children to Adramalek to appease and honor him. A god who feasts on the blood of children? What madness, retorted Doug to me. Please, sir, I will return your coins to you. I will do anything you wish. But my son, can you help me save my son? You would go against your own god? Is that not heresy? I thought... iafa stammered, tripping over her words. I had thought I could serve my lord, but the love of mother and son... I cannot serve a master who would come between this most sacred bond. My own mother was killed on the day I was born, said Dugdame, coldly gazing into the empty streets of Sefervim. Then you won't help me, Yaffa replied, more statement than question. On the contrary, replied Dugdame, flashing a wolfish grin, heresy is my specialty. He did not tell Yaffa of his own quest or of the sacred treasure he believed lay hidden in the great library of Sefervaim. 4. The Temple of Adramelech Sliding from the shadowy columns at the Temple of Adramelech, Dugdame's dagger sliced out in two quick motions, cutting the throats of the two temple guards. They dropped in a quiet clank of iron armor, dark blood pooling from their twitching bodies. "'Come,' whispered Dugdame, stepping over the guards and motioning to Yafa. She stepped out carefully handing a torch which had been ensconced on the wall to Dugdame. Quietly, the two figures crept into the looming shadows of the great palatial hall of the temple of Adramalek. Truly, all of the wealth of Sefervaim, both knowledge and precious stones, were found here. Ornate serpents twined about great columns, painted in gold and crusted in jewels. Dugdame noted the precious gems set in the eyes of each serpent glimmering in the torchlight. Just one of those eyes, Rubies and emeralds the size of a man's head would grant a man his heart's desire. And yet, this god held sway over its citizens, keeping them wrapped in dirty bandages while the temple shone immaculate and bright. Soldier, mercenary, assassin, and thief, Dugdame played many roles in his life. Raider of Anatolia, silent assassin of the pharaoh Shabaka of Egypt, ally to the second king Sargon of Assyria in his campaign against Urartu. Burglar in the great gardens of Babylonia, deposer of Marduk Apla Idina in Assyria's seizure of Babylon, these acts had served to lessen Dugdame's thirst for blood and conquest. However, despite his weariness, the warrior could not return to his people. Until now. Here in Sefervim's great library, Dugdame could smell the stale air trapped in the hallowed walls, the rich perfume of forbidden knowledge that offered his chance for redemption. It was just as Marduk had described to him when bartering for his life in the desert after Assyria had overrun Babylon. At the point of his sword, outside of the great halls of Babylon, Marduk begged for his life in exchange for sacred knowledge. As Dugdame pressed his blade under the black scruff of the man's beard, the thin, brown-skinned man had described the scrolls of ancient wisdom of arcane knowledge that would return the power of the ancient ones to those who could decipher the texts. With them, Sumeria might build a great golden city as spoken of by the eldest of elders, cities that existed in the time before time when giants and monsters walked among men. The Samirian envisioned a golden city where no one need die like his mother, like his wife, and their daughter. Yafa paused, tensing in the darkness. What is it? asked Dugdame. Footsteps. Do you hear? There, hissed Dugdame. He grabbed Yaffa and pulled her behind the great column. The Cimmerian quickly doused his torch and the two plunged into darkness. Slowly, a sliver of orange light appeared. Holding Yaffa close, Dugdame stepped forward. The two followed the light down a winding corridor. The smooth walls echoed with the jingle of metal and the soft slap of sandals on smooth tile. After a short time, the faint sliver of light became an orange flame in the shape of a door. Dugdame realized there was a room ahead, lit by torchlight he began to hear the murmur of tongues chanting in a language unknown to the warrior dugdame crouched down to get a better view at the centre of a ring of torchlight was a lavish altar upon it was bound the boy iari stripped to a loincloth symbols had been painted in blood upon his chest the boy struggled limply against his bonds several temple guards stood about the altar their iron helms and breastplates gleaming in the soft glow between them emerged a tall gaunt man of grim visage his dress was far more ornate than the guards he was draped in the fine robes of fringed wool and linen embroidered with colorful patterns of blue red green and purple precious gemstones adorned the fabrics affixed with gold and leather his dark blue headdress rose steeply from his lined forehead ordained with colorful feathers and stones The priest stepped in front of the boy and began to chant. Dugdame could not make out the words save one. Adramalek, Adramalek, Adramalek. Yafa gasped. Dugdame turned to her and brought his face close. He whispered to her, Stay, I will fetch the boy. Yafa nodded silently then thrust out, grabbed the Cimmerian to her and kissed him deeply on the lips. She pushed him back. Dugdame turned away from her and readied for battle. In a fluid motion, Dugdame sprang into action, leaping from the shadowed doorway and into the sacrificial chamber as he drew his broadsword, whipping it from its scabbard in a whirling arc. He spun across the room as the blade sliced through the exposed neck of the guard closest to him, spraying gore across the chamber. Still in motion, the blade clanged off of the peaked iron helm of a second guard, but Dugdame merely reversed his trajectory, spinning backwards while retrieving a sharp dagger from his tunic. With a flick of his powerful wrist, the long knife shot across the chamber, deep into the robed thigh of the third guard, who fell to his knees as a dark river of blood poured from him. Preternaturally alert in the throes of battle, Dugdumay sensed the hiss on the air before he heard the faint pluck of a bowstring. He pivoted, his huge arm wrapping around the guard with the dented helmet, spun the man around and exposed him to the iron-tipped arrows of an unseen archer somewhere above him. Dropping the body of the guard, Dugdame grabbed the man's spear and hurled it upward, then turned to face his next opponent even as the spear hit its mark and the archer's body fell to the floor with a thud and clatter. His blade stopped inches from Yafa's ear. The girl's mouth was agape, unable to take in air. From behind her stepped the massive figure of Raman, the captain of the temple guard. "'Well met, Dugdame,' said Raman with a sneer. "'You strike me as an honorable man,' growled Dugdame. "'Let the woman and her son go.' "'You strike me as a thief,' said the captain of the guard, "'which, as you'll recall, is what I suspected of you from our first meeting. "'You've done nothing to earn my trust.' "'If you seek trust, let the woman go,' repeated Dugdame. "'Drop your blade, Qumri. Now.' As the captain of the guard spoke, Dugdame noticed the echo of his words seemed to grow, reverberating through the chamber. The firelight of the torches began to dance in his vision. "'You'll drop it soon enough, I suppose,' said Raman once the poison takes effect. Poison, thought Dugdame. He had been so careful with his drink. What then? His eyes widened as he realized his folly. Yaffa, he gasped. The kiss. You don't trust any man, but you'll still fall prey to the treachery of a woman, as all men do, said Raman. The woman stepped away from Raman. She looked at Dugdame with wide eyes. I'm sorry, she murmured. "'Do not apologize, woman. You've served your master well.' "'I may take Iari? I may keep my son?' she asked worriedly. "'Yes, as we arranged, your son is free to live another day.' Dugdame fell to his knees. He scarcely noticed as his blade, so familiar in his hand, became a foreign object and clattered to the floor. "'Thief and heretic!' rasped the grim-faced high priest, stepping before Dugdame as the warrior's vision blurred. Everything seemed at once too close and too far away. You have been called into the service of him who is known as Baal Adramalek, Elder God of Sephirim. You have passed the tests of strength and cunning, as demanded by the god himself, and now you will face his glorious visage. The room spun in a blur of color as the robed priest stepped to the side. The air seemed to grow warmer around him. Shadows lengthened as the torches became mere pinholes of light. Dugdame heard an alien clack upon the tiles of the chamber, and suddenly he realized a great presence was upon him, warm, foul breath thickening the air around him. A long, clawed hand reached out and roughly grabbed Dugdame's slackened jaw, twisting his head. Dugdame squinted at the light and became aware of the black torso of a massive creature, the light behind him blotted out by a fanned array of colorful feathers. It was at once beautiful and horrible. The creature's head, the elongated shape of a mule, peered down at him, its black nostrils issued forth tendrils of smoke as it snorted and snarled. The creature spoke and its voice was unlike anything Dugdame had ever heard. It was the sound of a thousand wolves howling along the northern steppes. He missed his home. He will do, croaked the creature. Rough hands gripped Dugdame's arms and shoulders, and a thick rope was fastened around his neck and pulled tight. Dugdame tried to struggle, but his muscles seemed unable to respond. The rope about his neck tightened, and the warrior's body was yanked upward, his drugged limbs flailing helplessly as he was raised above the floor, above the altar. He gasped as the cold iron of a spear pierced his side. Do not damage the hands, growled the inhuman creature. I have need of his hands. Raman, once the body dies, you will cleanly remove the hands and present them to me. Yes, Lord, murmured the captain of the guard and drew his curved blade from its sheath. Unable to struggle, unable to breathe, the once powerful warrior called Dugdume gave himself over to his fate. The edges of his vision had gone white. And he closed his eyes the sounds faded from his ears as the roar of his blood took over he began to dream then a quiet dream of his home in Samaria, a brisk wind gently stinging his bare skin as he trudged calmly along the coast of the dark sea he saw his brothers hunting on horseback along the steps laughing as they flung their bronze tipped spears he came to a hill upon which he spied a female figure her long hair flowing wildly as it escaped her fluttering cloak He recognized his wife, as she turned, her silhouette burnt in the red sunset, her white smile broad and welcoming. Dancing around her skirts was their young daughter, turning and spinning in the wild grass, her soft young flesh pale and pure. He ran to them and scooped them both up in his arms, spinning them around, exclaiming that he had finally, finally returned home.
1: Serialized Mystery is a podcast production of Habit Forming Films LLC. Original music compositions by Todd Hodges. Introduction and credits read by Joe J Thomas. The Wormwood writing staff includes David Acampo, Jeremiah Allen, Rob Allspaw, Paul Montgomery, Jeremy Rogers, and Tiffany K Whitney. Wormwood created by David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers. Copyright 2009. Wormwood cannot be reproduced in part or whole without the express written consent of its creators. For more information on the cast, creators, and individual episodes, please visit us on the web at www.wormwoodshow.com. Thank you for listening, and welcome to town.
0: Thank you for listening to Tuesday Terror right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, the Saturday Story Circle for kids and family alike, And Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio
1: Network. Listening and imagining together.